Hello, I'm Steve Martin, and this is the Earshot Creative Review, where we hear great radio production and meet the people who make it. Spring has come, so set me free with fresh oil in my... <laughs> its microactive foam seeks out sources of bad breath. Excluding Channel Islands. Terms and conditions apply. Well, you'll know those voices. Now say hello to Mike Cooper and Emma Clark. Hi. Hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Mike's here with uh, me in London and Emma, you're joining us via Skype from where exactly? I'm in Cheshire. It's um, a little town called Altrincham. Marvellous. And which room are you in? I'm in my office. Um, My studio is adjacent to the office. The studio was... Um, a downstairs lavatory. Fantastic. We now know enough. So we're focusing on radio voice work in this edition of the podcast. And also a little bit later, news from the recent Radio Academy event on the future of radio imaging. We have a special report from John Ryan. In terms of imaging, that's constantly changing. But it's really the same all the time. Uh, but first, let's talk to our guest, Mike. Just tell us how much of your work is uh, for radio specifically. A big chunk of what I do is work for, well, in this building, actually. It's the BBC World Service. Um, news reading, continuity, uh, some of which is recorded, some of which is live. And then there are the other bits and pieces that, that drop into my inbox each week, which tend to be radio commercials. Um, so I'd say probably maybe a third of it. And what are people choosing you for when people are casting mike cooper what why are they choosing you over the many thousands of other voices that are out there i wish i knew um i don't really know um i I think um in terms of in terms of the radio stuff that i do here uh the the english network the world services has tried to move away from from what it used to be perceived as, uh, which was quite a sort of stuffy, um, sort of post-colonial type of type of organisation, you know, and this is London and all and all of that, and we've we've moved away from that. You can um, still do that, evidently. I can still do that. Yeah, <laughs> I like to squeeze in a "This is London" now and again if I, if I think <laughs> I can get away with it, but it's not really what we're supposed to do. And uh, to what extent do you find that that the way that you're booked is affected by the fashion in radio voices? Because it is quite a fashionable, cyclical business, isn't it? It's difficult to know. Um, I mean, I came into into doing this as a full-time voiceover only a couple of years ago. So the challenge for me, I guess, has been um, trying to trying to break in really where people have already got a long list of people that they use on a regular basis for radio commercials and so on um, and, and get my head above the parapet really to the point where people think to call. Um, it's getting there. It just takes time. And are you working from home as well as from professional studios? I would say mostly from home mm-hmm. these days, yeah. What about you, Emma? You're at home now. How much of your work is done down the line? I'd say a good 99.7% of my work is, is wow. from home. And I think there are pluses and minuses of working from home. I mean, the plus is that you work from home and the minus is that you work from home. <laughs> you become quite socially autistic, I think, when you um, never leave your house. And you find yourself striking up intense conversations with women at the co-op. <laughs> well, at least I do, anyway. How do you um, how do you know when you're working down the line that uh, you're working with a decent producer at the other end? You sense if you're working with a decent producer if they're not scared to give you very clear direction. 
if they're not scared to just take one or two takes instead of 1,700. Uh, and if they've already checked out any pronunciation issues before you um, record a, a script and if they've got the music prepared, really the preparation and, and the confidence that they have in handling the script, the voiceover and also the client, maybe the copywriter sales exec as well you can generally tell though from, from the the level of confidence and just tell us from your perspective what is the quality of writing and production like in in uk radio for the kind of the kind of work you're getting at the moment i think um the quality is not great and i think the reasons for that are primarily economic i think that sales execs are so delighted to, to get a client to sign on the dotted line that the creative-led sell isn't really in vogue at the moment. I just think it's a question of just getting the money in. And copywriters are kind of beholden to what the clients want in the ad. And increasingly, I'm seeing a lot of commercials that are really more like classified ads, really. Glorified classified ads, really. Um, and they're invariably very fast there's a lot of copy in them and for me I think it's quite disheartening because there isn't an awful lot of creative stuff going on at the moment it sounds as if you're still happy to put your your name and your voice and your reputation to that kind of work though well hey I mean you know it pays the bills <laughs> I mean yeah I mean I, I love radio I'm quite passionate about radio I always have been I, I was a radio geek as a kid and I'm still a radio geek now and like you said before, you know, there are fashions in voicing and it's cyclical. And we're in a, in a cycle at the moment where we're at a certain, certain level, where a certain style of commercial is being made for lots of, of very good reasons. And that's where we are at the moment. It will change. Everything always does. It evolves. Are you seeing the same thing, Mike? I, I tend to agree, actually. Yeah, I mean, I was told I was told a few years ago that the the announcer read, you know, the kind of you know rush down to so and so and get twenty pounds off whatever was going out of fashion. And what I've seen over the last couple of years is that really isn't going out of fashion. If anything, it's coming back. Is that what you're finding as well, Emma? Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, I think there was, like Mike says, I think there was a, the beginning of a trend, which I really welcomed actually. Um, that was kind of underselling where you know the perception was that the consumer was extremely savvy that didn't want to be sold to um explicitly that perhaps more subtle sales messages were coming in we were beginning to see a lot of regional accents come in as well yeah and i'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute actually because i do think that's quite relevant um but now i think the perception again is that clients want shouty 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 price price product and and that's that's really what people are are asking for, and that's what they're getting. So carpets, carpets, carpets. Carpet, you'll carpet. you'll love them. Is the start of my next script. Is that that's in vogue? Is it? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Come to Larry's Laminate Land for all your laminate needs. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's also a pressure, as, as Emma said, I think, to, to get the, you know, the maximum number of words that you possibly can do into that 29. Totally. And I think that that's, it, it, it's wrong-headed because I think the more copy you try and cram into a radio commercial, actually, you, you dilute its efficacy. Ad agencies have said for, for yonks that a press ad that's got lots of white space in it um, suggests quality, suggests something that's higher end. Equivalent is something that's 
that isn't over it and something that does allow the meaning of the words to breathe and does allow the voice artist just some kind of, I mean, I hate to use the word artistic because it sounds um, terribly pretentious, but some kind of artistic creative input. I think it does enhance the overall sales message. But at the moment, that just isn't a consideration. It's people, people, I think, perceive when they're buying a radio campaign, more words equals better value. And, And the agencies, the big London agencies tend to put their more junior writers onto radio it doesn't have this the, the kind of glossy sex appeal that 48 sheets on the side of an a road would or totally a television great. or a cinema spot so that for the creatives it's just not the the stuff they want to have at the top of their showreel but i think it's that's always been the case really that radio has been the poor relation to tv certainly in, in the perception of big agencies uh, eyes or at least that's certainly been my experience so what's the answer well <laughs> i think <laughs> Be brave and do the undersold thing, not to to do the shouty, shouty, shouty carpets, carpets, and just to, to to allow a bit more creativity back into the industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a I did a TV commercial not so long back, which was fifteen seconds, and if you could have seen the amount of words to get into fifteen seconds, even once I'd gone through, taken out, taken out the spaces, taken out the breaths, it just sounded garbled, and it ran, yeah. and it's still running on TV now. But every time I hear it, I cringe because I yeah. think you just I, I know the script, and even I can't really hear what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but you make a good point. I mean, the other thing is for people like you and I, Emma, it's it's two different skills, and I think if you can do both, then you've probably got some longevity um if you can get you know 100 250 words in 30 seconds and make it sound coherent and and make it sound listenable then that really is a skill that that's probably never going to go out of fashion but it would be nice you're right to to have some time to play where you can inject a bit more light and shade a bit more peak and trough into what you're doing because i just think that makes it more interesting and and at the end of the day what we're what we're trying to create is is quality audio i thought yeah a quiz every time an agency said can you read it faster but make it sound slower <laughs> yeah that would just <laughs> <laughs> be a very rich woman but that really is is the challenge to, to make it sound slower even though it's jam-packed with words well we're going to hear some audio now so mike let's hear uh, a little bit of your work and then we'll have a chat about this because this uh, is from your reel so evidently this is work that you are deeply proud of set it up for something it can't be Um, this is just a selection of of recent bits of radio commercials which which have gone out on ILR stations in the UK probably in the last 12 months what's the most effective security you could have for your business a dog a security guard or a state of the art security system from Argus Security Systems Beyond the Dark Side presents Wish to the Moon and Beyond the ultimate Pink Floyd spectacular for one show only at the Lyric Theatre QPAC, Saturday, November 14. Need more space or just a place to escape to? Add another room onto your home with a new Heritage 13-foot by 10-foot conservatory, giving you extra space fully fitted for just £7,950. Being blind or partially sighted doesn't mean you don't have vision. Enterprise Insight, delivered by Action for Blind People and funded by the London Development Agency. With the full Merida and Trek range, clothes, helmets and repairs and the experienced staff to help you. Just call in or click bikeitcycles.com. Quite a number of different styles there. There's, that there's actually one in there that I'd forgotten, um, which went out on Australian radio. And that's that's another interesting side to, to what's going on at the moment, which is with the advent of the internet, with the advent of voice directories, and, and in my case, having a, an agent in Sydney as well as one in London... Um, 
you can now be booked to do anything anywhere. Um, another interesting thing I did recently was was a commercial which went out on Canadian TV for the Australian Tourism Commission, which I did in an Australian accent. Um, the idea of something like that happening a few years ago would be unthinkable, really. So it's it's all out there if you go looking for it, I think. Let's hear your Australian accent, because I think <laughs> we have that here. <laughs> in Australia, it's easy to take your senses on a culinary adventure. Tantalise your taste buds in Tasmania. Join local producers on food trails and savour wines along the southern wine route. Appeal to your appetite in Adelaide and be inspired by Barossa Valley's winemakers. Cruise Sydney Harbour, dine nearby and enjoy the view. Indulge in Australia's culinary adventures. It's time to toast the good life. Australian food and wine vacations start from $5.99. Visit australia.com slash today or call one down under. So is that true Australian or is that just enough Australian to persuade a Canadian? Probably somewhere between <laughs> the two. I've got the advantage in that I've lived with an Australian for six years. And what people tend to do, I, I think, the, the usual criticism when Australians listen to, um, listen to Brits or anybody else doing Australian accent is they turn into Crocodile Dundee. It's like, oh, wow, great, mate. And it's, it, real <laughs> Australians, when you listen to them, don't sound anything like that. It's much more, it's much more understated. Um, and what my agent, because I, I ran this by a few people and said, look, can I get away with this? Or actually, is this... Is this just me sounding like I'm putting on an Australian accent? And my, my Sydney agent actually said, well, look, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't book you for an Australian spot that was going out in Australia, but um, what you've got there is in, enough international in it that it doesn't mm. sound completely alien to, to a Canadian audience. But you're not far off. And she, she actually, I think, was quite impressed with it. And, you know, if you can sell it to the Australian Tourism Commission, then I guess... You're halfway there. <laughs> and Emma, are you finding the internet is uh, giving you a global market suddenly? Um, a lot of my work is with international clients, whether they're from Europe, America, um, South Africa, Australia, Russia, weirdly. <laughs> and every day I'm doing something for an international client and the internet has certainly opened that up hugely. And what about accents for you? Yeah, I do do um, lots of different accents. I mean, I, I've done some stuff for um, some in-store stuff in Dublin, in Ireland, and they don't know that I'm English. I think I've just about got away with that one. <laughs> um, some Scottish stuff I've done. I mean, every now and again I get asked to do um, accented stuff, and I really like that. I mean, in fact, this week I had to do a really, probably the scariest job ever for the Rotterdam History Museum where I had to do some stuff in Dutch. And they sent me a pronunciation guide. But it's, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Dutch, but it's really scary. Because yeah. <laughs> there's, there's sounds in Dutch that aren't in usual um, Romance languages. And there's a kind yeah. of sound that they have to make. And that was pretty scary. But uh, yeah, I, I do lots of different voices. Uh, and tell me about your training. Do you have a, a, a formal classical actor background? I sort of do. Yes, I sort of do. I mean, I did lots of... I'm a qualified speech and drama teacher, which is um, something I did yonks ago, hundreds of years ago, um, where I learned all about speech production and um, phonetics, which actually has been really useful in voice work, and, and especially with, with, with doing different accents and being able to break down phonetically exactly what the client wants me to do. So, yeah, I am... I am Pretty, pretty trained, trained up. Well, let's hear some of your work. What's the first thing we're going to hear? Um, this, yeah, the Skull Blisters commercial I recorded just last week. And it's an example of 
the first creative commercial I've voiced in about a year. And it was so refreshing to see it land on my fax. So um, I thought you might enjoy hearing it. There's nothing more satisfying than popping bubble wrap. But when it's blisters on your feet, like I've got... Ow, ow, ow! Shoal blister plasters, however, provide instant relief, making walking a breeze. Shoal, keeping Britain on its feet. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you should have heard the athlete's footwork. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Shoal, is it? I never... Was it Scott? How did you pronounce that? We did two versions because the client couldn't decide. <laughs> <laughs> and when the client can't decide, you know you're in trouble, don't you? <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, we talked about accents and uh, you've been doing something uh, Swedish. Yes, indeed. It was kind of cod Swedish because it was a comic commercial. So it's not, I mean, a Swedish person would be probably insulted by it. <laughs> but it was good fun to do anyway. And what's it for, Emma? It's for IKEA, <laughs> predictably <laughs> enough. It was for a promo that was running on um, Key 103 in Manchester. Drive home on Key 103 with IKEA Ashton. Can you speak IKEA? Malung. Swedish town or Swedish furniture? Keep listening to find out. <laughs> we love that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> if, I think there's a point there, which is if you're obviously parodying, you can get away with it more than if you're trying to yeah. carry off something which is supposedly serious. And I, I get asked sometimes, you know, uh, clients come to me and they say, oh, yeah, can you do this in a, in a standard American accent? And I say, well, I can, but the moment any American hears it, they're immediately going to know that it's somebody who's doing an American accent. Uh, really, you owe it to yourselves and to your clients. To, to you know, there's plenty of people out there that can do an American accent, and yeah. you know, and I've and I've had um, Americans also come to me and say, look, I've been asked to do this. They want it in a British accent. I don't feel comfortable doing it. Would you be happy if I put you forward? And I think we all just, sometimes we just need to be big enough to accept that we're not cut out to do everything and that, that there are limits. But I, but I did love that. I thought that was great. And, and of course, you got the humour right and you, it was obvious that it was a parody. I, I don't think anybody would, could ever take any kind of offence to it. Yeah, well, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was... Whoever did the, um, the the sales job on that really understood uh, how to make entertaining radio as well. Yeah, exactly. It, I thought the creative on it was really good because it used radio in it, you know, it, it was funny. Uh, now, I know, Emma, you wanted to talk uh, about a legend of uh, UK radio voice work, Mike Hurley. Why is he such a legend for you? Well, he was a fantastic bloke and he helped me out hugely. He introduced me to my London voice agent and he was a, a, a lovely, lovely man. <laughs> this particular clip of Mike is Mike. I mean, if you ever knew Mike Hurley, he was a big guy with a big personality. He was an ex-sergeant major. He took no prisoners and he hated overwritten scripts. <laughs> we were talking earlier on about how many um, copywriters try and cram in as much language as they can into um, commercials these days, and, and it has ever been thus. And this clip really shows Mike Hurley experiencing the very worst of overwritten scripts. And if you're downloading this podcast from iTunes and you wonder why it's flagged explicit... Uh, here's the answer. <laughs> on Saturday the 10th and Sunday the 11th of July. Marvel at death-defying stunt displays in miniature. Joe Cosford said... Oh, fuck! Why don't you write a pissing length, you twat? <laughs> 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 fuck this. 
<laughs> makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> that's brilliant. But that's a way of life for you from what you're saying. A lot of that yeah, coming through. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's a, a session by session occurrence, more or less. <laughs> and honestly, there are times when I'm, I'm wrestling with a script that's meant to be 30 seconds and it reads to a pacey 37 <laughs> and I'm expected to cram it in. And I just sometimes think I'm channeling Mike Hurley. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to hear uh, more from you um, in a few minutes' time uh, after the break. Hi, John. Hi, Jane. Hey, why are you carrying your laptop around like that, John? Well, Jane, it's so I can download the perfect music bed for any occasion from radiobeds.co.uk. Any occasion, John? Even a badly written radio ad? I'm ready for anything, Jane, thanks to the hundreds of beds at radiobeds.co.uk. Did you say radiobeds.co.uk? Radiobeds.co.uk. You can call them on 020 8291 7111 Did you say five? Yes, or go online to radiobeds.co.uk. What's an online? The Earshot Creative Review with Steve Martin. Earshot Creative Review. Great radio production and the people who make it. Earshot Creative Review. Now, if you're a keen follower of trends in radio imaging, then you probably heard about the recent Radio Academy event. It was all about the future of radio imaging held in Manchester. Perhaps you were even there, like BBC Manchester's John Ryan. It's three weeks before the election, and in one broadcasting centre in Manchester, the three men who would be Prime Minister line up before the world's cameras for the UK's first leadership debate. Down the road, at the other broadcasting centre in Manchester, 60 anoraks are dutifully hung up to enjoy the latest Northwest Radio Academy event. The future of radio imaging, which, to be fair, spent as much time in the past. It began with host Hursty playing in audio from a real-life Sonifex cart machine set up specially for the night, given to him by Chris Moyles. Yes, it was that sort of evening. He gave it me, and it's been sat in my loft, and I powered it up today, and it seems to work, but there's a... Just press the green button. To Hello, Marconi House, London, calling. Hello, CQ. Hello, CQ. This is Two Emma Talk Ritual Testing. Here is the Midnight News, and this is Alvar de Jarrell. It's that man again. Why don't you make a date with two always your friendly station? Miles dropped up on my doorstep a couple of years ago on Boxing Day. Went, hey, I've got a present for you. On the last night of Luxembourg, when it closed down, he nicked it. <laughs> it, so it, it sat in my loft for the last couple of years in RTL box. It sat in his bedroom in Leeds. Radio One is
rocking, rocking, rocking over the beat. 97.4 Rock FM Galaxy One Earth Manchester's best dance and more More fun with award-winning Adam Cole in the morning And more Music With 30 minutes 30 minutes Non-stop Every hour Galaxy One Earth A truncated history of radio imaging. Talks soon turned to the present, though, and the current fashion for elaborate comedy liners. Here's an example with reaction from Radio City's Alistair Sterling. <laughs> radio. Everything that rocks. Want a bit of heaviness to start your weekend? Check out the Temple of Doom. There's black metal, speed metal, grindcore, thrash, doom, drone, glam, sludge, metalcore, stoner metal, death metal, and deathcore. So join me, Johnny Doom, Friday nights, 1am on Kerrang Radio for the Temple of Doom. No, but I definitely would. This is Kerrang Radio. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's, see, that's what you want. That's great. That's funny. It's excellent creative imaging, isn't it? And it, we all listen to that sort of stuff and the stuff that uh, the guys at Rock Radio are doing and even Jack FM. Yeah. And it's all these brilliantly clever lines. And you think, yeah. oh my God, that's so great. Would that work on a station like Radio City? I don't think it probably would, to be honest. And I think the thing about really creative, great liners, they sound brilliant and they entertain the audience and the audience think, wow, that's funny. Yeah. They burn so quickly. Unless you've got a team of people, I think. They're a team yeah. of writers. I'm just, I'm yeah. just apologising with the fact that I do everything at the radio station. <laughs> um, unless you have a team of writers who are constantly creating new material, but there is a certain kind of sound, I think, that, that scousers would expect. And I think if I rolled out loads of lines like they had a crank... <laughs> hey, so what's that? Where's me, like, you know, boss big lines? And where's the Radio City 96.7? We also heard mocked-up audio from a terrific and terrifying vision of the future, where every radio station had become a single brand, which I'd love to play you, but I suspect TM Studios' Chris Stevens would get into terrible trouble. We'll finish then with a legend instead, Dave Fox from New York's Z100. Thanks to Dave Bethel for this audio. I don't see radio changing that much. How many times have we seen a funeral for CHR or Top 40? Oh, Top 40 is dead as a format. It's just no longer viable. You want to bet? I don't think so. I don't think that that was true. I don't think that the demise of radio at the expense of television or satellite or internet is any of that's going to happen. Because radio is unique. Radio is mostly local. Radio is something that people tune to for companionship. 
they don't tune for music. Music might get them there in the first place, but the reason people listen is because you are their friend. And as long as you don't forget that, as long as you keep being their friend, as long as you keep informing them of things that they really want to know about, you're going to win. It's not going to change all that much. In terms of imaging, that's constantly changing. But it's really the same all the time. So I, I just don't see a great big change in the future. I think a refinement, I think that making radio more accessible to your local audience, making radio more fun to listen to, and being better at what we're supposed to be doing, and that's communicating. If we can do that, radio will have an absolutely safe and secure future, uh, as far as I can see. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Dave, for inviting me to do this. Oh, well, that was Dave Fox there. And brings a tear to the eye, doesn't it? And that report from John Ryan. Thanks to John for putting that together. With support from Stuart Barrett, both of BBC Manchester. And in a future edition of the Earshot Creative Review, we'll be dedicating the programme to the changing sound of UK radio imaging. If you'd like to be part of that podcast, or if you'd like to suggest a guest, then do get in touch. Earshot at smartin.me is the address. Earshot at smartin.me. <laughs> And Emma, that links uh, quite nicely to something that you've heard recently on the radio. Yes, indeed. Um, Roy Martin um, got in touch with me before the recent um, Radio Academy Future of Imaging workshop. And we were talking about how imaging has got to evolve and become a bit less stylized. And I was saying that wouldn't it be great if we could do some imaging that was a bit more personality-led, a bit more creative, that wasn't quite as predictable as imaging has been in the past, and that just was a bit looser, a bit freer. And he said, actually, I've done some stuff for rock radio that was voiced by Nick Cody, who is a fantastic voice. I mean, he's the voice of God. He really is. He's awesome. And this is a great example of... I think the direction that imaging is going to go in. Um, it's it's funny, it's creative, and there are some times, and, and this is really interesting, where they don't even mention rock radio. So they're just allowing the station sound and the voice to identify the brand rather than the name. I suppose I should say the station name here so you know what you're listening to, but I can't be asked. Brittany... Definitely. Beyonce? To the left, to the left. Absolutely. Madonna? Thank me. Ah, why not? We do them, <laughs> but we won't play them. Holy smoke! 106.1 Rock Radio. And now, time for an embarrassing body noise. 106.1 Rock Radio. And now, a word from our sponsor, Flange. <laughs> 106.1 Rock Radio. As natural as chlamydia on a koala, it's Australia Day on 106.1 Rock Radio. In association with Walkabout Manchester. Girls, show us your map of Tassie. 
Take that! And shove it where the sun don't shine. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? No boy bands. 106.1 Rock Radio. St. Patrick's Day on 106.1 Rock Radio. You will enjoy it, or I'll kneecap you. <laughs> 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 Not suitable for all markets. <laughs> well, no, clearly. But um, I think it's really interesting to use that sort of, um, almost not, not loose cannon, but, but certainly an improvised vibe. Well, you know, we had Joe Thomas, the Sony award-winning imaging producer from Jack FM on the podcast recently, and he was saying he just gets through thousands and thousands of bits of imaging because he's doing a gag per cut, and they, yeah. ju- they just burn. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think the way around that, maybe, in, in terms of saving cost, um, is maybe to target the areas where you do want more creative stuff and maybe have kind of the framework of the imaging package kind of stock and, and quite um, straight almost. And then kind of let fly on maybe some specific features, some specific programs, um, and just make it a bit more manageable. You said earlier that the quality of creative in commercials is pretty poor on the whole. What about imaging work? I think imaging has has kind of had a a, a period of lull um, in recent times. When I first started doing imaging, I I was kind of taught everything I know really by Jeff Thomas. But he he was incredibly detailed in everything that he wanted me to do. I mean, down to every tiny syllable. He would literally book me for an hour and we'd record three lines worth of stuff and he would insist on recording it with the music and insist on it being absolutely right. And the man was fantastic. I learned so much from him. When I started, the fashion for female imaging voices was to almost sound like a bloke (laughs) in many ways, where it was kind of virgin. And then it kind of moved into a very feminine light vibe. And then we've moved into this sort of help where it's all on a minor note and it's a bit no, no, no. And it's kind of too cool for school. And personally, I can't stand that style. I just find it grates on me. I don't think you're going to get booked to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, no. <laughs> I, 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 I had heard the same criticism of this from another another voiceover, somebody you know, Trish Bertram, mm. who, of course, for many years was the, the voice of ITV promos. And then, of course, it all changed, and suddenly it was Friday night on ITV1, and exactly what Emma said. And I think, I think there's... It's probably been and gone. I bloody hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Mike, what have you heard recently? Well, this, this is a bit different. This isn't radio imaging or radio commercials, but it's something that... that sort of caught my attention um, a couple of weeks ago and this is this is a, something I heard actually on Radio 4 um, about a lady called Delia Derbyshire who was the, the woman who first put together Ron Grainer's Doctor Who theme mm. back in, what was it, 1963? At the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Yeah, and she, she was quite an artiste and I'd, I'd heard of her but I'd never really heard her work deconstructed like this. And uh, what they did was they went back and sort of took it all apart, showed you how it had been done and it struck me as an interesting thing because it's, it's a theme now that's, that's been around for almost 50 years. If you listen to the latest version of it, it's very different to what she originally did and it's, it's moved with the times, you know, the 80s version 
version was very electronic, and now somehow we've we've gone for something a bit different again. But as a theme, it it's been with it all the way through, and I think it, it's an interesting example of how you can. It, it's that evolution rather than revolution. You don't have to throw everything out every time that you want to make a change. Brand managers, Indeed. take note. Yes, <laughs> Mark, you're going to deconstruct the Doctor Who theme for us and show us the elements from which it's composed. Okay, um, there are two sounds which make up the the bass. Uh, one of them is this, which is a kind of swoop organ sound, which gives us grace notes to the bass line. And then there's the plucked string sound, which is what you normally think of as being the bass line. That's a, uh, a sample string pluck, and every so often uh, you can hear very subliminally a, a sub-octave, which has been mixed in to emphasise certain notes. Then there's the melody sound, which is uh, all the manually operated swoops and individual notes off the, off the wobulator cut together. And uh, there's a couple of different elements overlaid here and put through delay and echo to glue it all together. Added to that, there are some high harmonics which emphasise the higher partials. The rhythm is provided by a couple of tracks of, of filtered white noise. One of those uh, tracks is forward, so you get a sort of pss noise with a hiss on it, and the other one was reversed, so it went... But then we put echo on that as well so you, you you've got a you didn't get any sort of hard drop off ends and then we can slowly build it up from the baseline track by track Good stuff, isn't it? And very evocative. Yeah. Uh, and uh, here's something I heard uh, on Radio One a few weeks back, again to do with Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, this is a this is a promo, um, but it's a promo with a surprise. Dave Tedious Link. Hello. Coming up. Where the link goes. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows where that uh, goes. Yesterday we played Caught by the River by Dubs. Dave Tedious Dubs are a white bird symbolising peace. A piece of a different type is what you have a lot of on a pizza. Pizza. Pizza is Italy, as is Frank. Hello? Hello, can anyone hear me? Mayday? I know it's Dave's tedious link... I'm the Doctor. I don't have much time. They might catch me up at any moment. I need to warn you, before Saturday... About... Got to go. No time. Be lucky. Fine. 
five is the number of members currently in Girls Aloud. <laughs> Girls Aloud had a big hit with Love Machine, which links us especially Very for you. Very clever. It is, isn't it? I'll tell you the reason I, I, I love that. Uh, firstly, it really breaks the trance of listening to the radio. If you just have that on in the background, your, uh, your attention is, is drawn to it. Uh, secondly, they get away all the important information. It's the doctor and it's Saturday and that's all you need to know. And thirdly, as an idea, it's yeah. so relevant. The TARDIS does land unexpectedly in places mm. uh, and that's exactly what, what they've done. They've taken you know, what you expect the TARDIS to do and plonk it into the middle of radio. It's, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? And it's something really that only an organisation like the BBC that's got different you know, TV and radio outlets, that there can be a concerted mm. uh, a push to do something like that can make work. Yeah, I mean, in a commercial environment there would have to be clear separation yeah. between a commercial message yeah, and sure. the editorial. But on the BBC, of course, it's not a commercial message. It's a lot it's, easier to blur the boundaries. Well, yeah, anybody. and it's not commercial, is it? It's yeah. giving information about well, programmes. Well, isn't it commercial? That, that, and that's another thing, isn't it, that you, you can argue a long way about is, um, you know, is it commercial? Because if, if, if it was a commercial station, what would the worth of a, what was that, 20-second spot like that be across, across a network? I think it's the BBC using the techniques of advertising, which are proven creative techniques, but using them to make audiences aware of public service content that they've already paid for. Good answer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I must say, I like the use of the iconic sound effect of the TARDIS because everybody can kind of picture it's almost like um, where radio kind of becomes visual when you hear that sound effect you picture the TARDIS it's very clever yeah it's, it's like um, if this was an advertising concept then it would be the sonic brand trigger yeah exactly and it's a sonic trigger that people as I say people have been hearing for nearly 50 years so you it's, it's embedded in the psyche everybody immediately they hear it it might be I don't know was it a, a, a key being scraped up and down a piano wire with some reverb on it but it doesn't matter because as soon as you hear it you know it's the TARDIS well look thanks to, to you Mike and also to Emma Clark Emma's at emmaclark.com aren't you and you're Emma B. Clark on Twitter I am with an E on the end of Clark that's good. And Mike, you're MikeCooperVoiceOver.com or London Voiceover London on Twitter. London Voiceover on Twitter. In fact, Emma and me have been tweeting each other. Just, she's, we've been, we're having a garden bird competition at the moment. <laughs> she's got a heron. The best I can manage is a Bluetooth, but then I do live in the middle of London. So. Marvellous. Well, thanks to, to both of you. Happy to plug you. I'll take my 15% and say <laughs> thanks to RadioBeds.co.uk uh, for the music beds. Did thanks. you say RadioBeds.co.uk? Yeah, RadioBeds.co.uk. UK. <laughs> and thanks to the BBC for the use of their Skype facility today. That was great, wasn't it? And uh, thanks to you, as ever, uh, for being within earshot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> so whatever you're after, just let us know and we can be on hand to provide what you need. Our offices operate from 9am... Oh, no, my God! That's huge!